Well, as I mentioned before, um, right before the baptism, we're going, to, uh, we're going to be asking one incredibly simple, yet uh, one incredibly complex question for the next three weeks that we're together. And it's simply this question, it's who needs Christmas, right? Who needs it? Like apart from the fact that we get holidays and it's great time, we get to hang out with our friends and families and there's all the work Christmas parties and the end of the year, like who really needs it? Because if we're honestly thinking about this whole Christmas thing, right, a lot of us kind of think like that one of the most challenging Christmas uh, things about the Christmas story is the Christmas story. Right? If you think about the Christmas story, perhaps for you when you hear about it and you're driving around at this time of the year and you're seeing the nativity scenes, you're in churches or you go to carols or you watch it online, um, one of the ways that you would kind of characterize the Christmas story as you look at it is you would sort of say, um, it's kind of unbelievable, like, like, sure, like it's a cool story that they made up to kind of give Jesus a little bit of street cred. But, but at the end of the day, Chris, isn't, isn't it really just a myth? Like, isn't it just something we kind of all believe to get along and it gives us a reason to kind of have like that, a two-week break from work at the end of the year? And the reason that, that I kind of would say um, it's unbelievable is because I just imagine during the week, like imagine um, that I had to talk to someone who had no experience with Jesus, um, how I would explain um, this scene to them. Um, and, and so I, I thought, well, like if I had to explain this to someone who had no idea of Christmas, no idea of the Christmas story, I would genuinely have to be like, okay, well, see this person here, this is Mary. Um, she looks like a lady, but in the actual Christmas story, she was a teenager. And, uh, one of these angels, we'll pick this one. This one came and spoke to Mary and, uh, and said to Mary, Mary, uh, you're going to have a child, but you're not going to do it the normal way. God's going to do it. Um, and straight away we'd be like, that sounds a little bit crazy. But then what happened is Mary got pregnant. And Mary went to uh, Joseph or Joe and said, Joe, I'm pregnant, bro. And at this point in time, Joseph was doing what every normal person was thinking, like, okay, who'd you sleep with? And she said, no, 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 I didn't sleep with anyone. God did it. And then Joseph did what every other normal person did and said, I need to hit, I need to tap out of this relationship before we get married. And so Joseph tried to like break the engagement off. And uh, then an angel appeared to Joseph and said, hey, no, Joe, bro, it's okay. God, God did do it. And so then we fast forward a little bit, a couple of months, nine months forward, and uh, Joseph and Mary have escaped. They've gone to this uh, town called Galilee to be part of this census that the entire Roman Empire was taking part in. And while they're there, Mary kind of has the child, and, they, and there's no room for them to stay anywhere in this inn uh, or anywhere in town, and so they end up staying in a stable, and while they're in the stable, some shepherds rock up and some wise men rock up. And when Mary and Joseph say, hey, how'd you find us? The shepherds say, uh, well, an angel appeared to us. And the wise men say, well, we've been following this star for about three years in the sky and we just kind of rocked up here. Right, and so we look at this story, right, and we kind of look at it and, and you sort of say, like, it's a little unbelievable. Like, it's, it's a nice story, but, but Chris, come on, come on, come on. No one takes it seriously, do they? And before... Before we kind of move on, I, I just want to kind of take a quick sidebar to let, to let you know this, because I want to say one thing about this whole thing. Okay, one thing about the whole thing is that, and if you've been here for any amount of time, you would have heard me say this over and over and over again, okay? If someone can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm inclined to believe anything they've got to say, all right? The, the truth of Christianity, the truth of Jesus does not hinge on how you understand the Christmas story, it hinges on this thing called the resurrection. If someone can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to say, I'm going to go with them. Right, back, back, to the Christmas, back to the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story 
believe it or not, actually doesn't begin with Christmas. It actually begins 2,090 years earlier. And it doesn't begin with an angel rocking up. It doesn't begin with a, a pregnant man and a pregnant woman figuring out how they got pregnant. It begins with a couple who didn't think they were ever going to get pregnant. It doesn't begin with people looking for room in an inn uh, to have a baby. It begins with a couple kind of talking, kind of saying like, are we ever going to have a baby? Really, it begins with this unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise. And we find this promise in this document called Genesis. And I know as soon as you hear that, you're kind of going to go like, okay, yeah, right, that's that like whole weirdo Christian creation thing. Okay, just put that to the side for one minute because we could do an entire series on that. But when you think of Genesis, here's what I want you to do for the next few minutes we're together. Don't think the Bible, okay? Don't think the Bible. Think of Genesis because this is what it legitimately is. Genesis is a document that details the growth of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. And this was such an important document because as, as the nation of Israel was kind of growing as a nation, they would write and they would kind of add to this document throughout their stages of growth. And then what this document became so revered within their community that different people within this community and scholars would actually transcribe it and they would write it down so there was generation after generation after generation heard the stories of how the nation of Israel became a nation. And it was so dear to the Jewish people that over time, they added this document into a whole bunch of other documents that would have eventually been labeled the Jewish Scriptures. And then about 2,000 years ago, the Jewish Scriptures were added to another bunch of documents called the New Testament, bound up, put a nice cover on the front, and they're called the Bible. But when you think about this, Bible, uh, this book, Genesis did not give birth to the Bible. Okay, Genesis existed as a document that detailed the nation of Israel's history and was included into the Bible. And if you have to leave early, in case you fall asleep, here's the big idea that I need you to understand we're going to talk about today. That the Christmas story is believable. Not because of the events around it, but because the backstory is so remarkable. And it's this backstory that we're going to launch this discussion on for part one. And this unbelievable, incoherent, impossible promise begins in Genesis. And this is what God says. It says, the Lord said to Abram, now why he chose Abram, we have no idea um, any more than we know why he chose Mary and Joseph. All we know that is he chose Abram, who would eventually become Abraham, um, and, and says, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now in this culture, this was a big deal. Because they didn't have nations as we would kind of understand. And they had like tribes and clans and it was all pretty barbaric. And so if you were to leave your family setting, if you were to leave your tribe or leave your clan, you were leaving safety. Because there was safety in numbers. There was safety if you stuck together. And so God says, what I want you to do is I want you to trust me and I want you to go. And then he says this. He's like, I will make you into a great nation. And I could imagine that if I was Abram in this situation, I would have said, I'd take being a great-grandfather. Like, I'm, at this point, Abram is 75 years old, and he doesn't have any children. He's sitting there, he's going to be like, that's, that's impossible. Like, we don't, we, my, Sarah and I don't even have a child yet. You, you want to make me a nation? How about a family to start with? But God keeps making promises, and he says this. He says, I will bless you and make you famous. And Abram's like, you're not going to make me famous. I'm going to be forgotten. Like in a few years, I'm dead and I don't have anyone to follow on. Like it's, it's over for me. 
but he keeps going. He says, and you will be a blessing to others, which was incoherent in that culture because you did not bless other people in that culture. In fact, if you're honest, one of the reasons that you struggle with the whole Bible is because of what you hear about in the Old Testament, right? Because no one was blessing anybody. Everyone was fighting everyone, taking what they wanted, plundering, pillaging, like no one was blessing others, but God said, I want you to do exactly what no one else is doing. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. In other words, here, I'm going I'm to be with you. I'm going to be with your family. I'm going to be with your children. I'm going to be with your descendants. And I'm going to weave my story into your story. And you'll know that what I've promised you will eventually come true because I'm going to make sure that it does. I'm going to be here to see it through. And then God just completely goes off the reservation as if what he said wasn't crazy enough at this point in history. And he says, all, not some, not a few, but every single nation of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, like I said, they didn't really have nations as we would understand nations, but nations certainly didn't bless other nations in that point in time. Families didn't bless other families at all. But what God was saying is, through you, you don't have any kids, but I'm going to create a nation that's going to bless everyone. And then if you know any of the story, whoops, if you know any of the story, you know that what ends up happening, I'll show you the family tree actually, we can go to that slide, um, is you know that, that Abraham and Sarah actually end up having a son uh, called Isaac. And if you're wondering, um, like, yeah, he had a couple of wives. Yeah, polygamy was like normal. That was part of the cultural norm back then. And so Abraham actually had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac had a son. Um, he actually had two sons, Esau and Jacob. But Esau is not really included in a lot of family trees because Jacob, the younger son, kind of uh, stole the birthright from Esau. And uh, maybe if you're like looking at this, this kind of makes you feel a little bit better about the dysfunction in your own family, knowing that like this is the family tree of like Abraham and God's like, I'm going to bless the world through you. Like, and this, this family, like this is full of dysfunction. In fact, if you don't even like the Bible, you should just read this part of the Bible because it'll make you feel better about what hap- what's happened in your family. Um, and then Jacob eventually has 12 sons. Jacob has 12 sons and 10 of the 12 sons uh, don't, like ja- uh, don't like one of the brothers. Um, they don't like Joseph. You know, there's that like, musical, like Joseph and the Technicolor Coat or Joseph and the Magic Coat. And Benjamin likes Joseph, but the other 10 brothers, they don't like Joseph. And so at that, at, in that culture, they kind of had two options for the brother they didn't like. They said, we can kill him or we can sell him. And they thought, well, we don't like him, so we may as well sell him and make some money from, uh, from the fact that we don't like this guy. And so they sold him into to Egypt. And then, a long story short, what ended up happening was the entire family migrated to Egypt. And while Joseph had been in Egypt, he'd actually risen through the political ranks, and he was one of the leaders in the nation, um, in the nation of Egypt. And then we fast forward a little bit further in, that, in the nation of Israel's history, and what we actually discover is that God did keep His promise. Israel became a nation of slaves under the Egyptians. And what, what's, what's most remarkable for me, or that I find most remarkable, is that this nation of slaves was still talking about the promise. Everyone in that nation was talking about the promise. And I could imagine that if I was a teenager growing up in that world and someone was going, hey, you know God made a promise that we're going to bless the world? I could imagine I'd be like, look around. We're slaves. Like, we can't even bless ourselves. We can't even get our own life together. 
and we're going to bless everyone. You're kidding me. And then, again, fast forward, because we don't have time to go into all the details, but they broke free of slavery. And there was a whole lot of violence. There was a whole lot of bloodshed. And for some of you, kind of like, yeah, Chris, that's the whole thing that I don't really like like the Bible because of all the bloodshed and all the violence and all the, the stuff that went on and all the wars that were waged. And the answer to that is incredibly simple. You might not like it, but the answer is incredibly simple. It's what offends us was normal to them. We look at this as a people who live on the other side of Christmas. We look at this as a nation that's civilized with laws, but this was clans and barbarism. They didn't know nations as we would know them. In this culture, might equaled right, which meant if I wanted your stuff and I was stronger than you, I could take it. And that was the way the world worked. And so what offends us was normal, completely normal for that culture. And then the story continues if you kind of push forward about a, about a thousand years. The nation of Israel kind of moves from a family to a nation to eventually be called a kingdom. We would know it as the kingdom of Israel. And this kingdom of Israel had a king, his name was David. Everyone knew David as like the warrior king because David had kind of built this massive um, massive kingdom. He'd kind of had peace treaties with all the surrounding nations because they were so big. He kind of went to them and sent representatives and they're like, you know what? No, we're not going to try and fight you. We're not trying to, gonna, we're not, uh, we don't want any trouble. You guys stay over there. We'll stay here. We'll call it good. And then David had a son called Solomon who was known as like the builder king. And Solomon created roads and hospitals and all this infrastructure and amassed all this wealth for the kingdom of Israel. And then Solomon, for as wise as he was, made some incredibly unwise decisions. And his decisions actually led to the kingdom of Israel being split in two, the north and the south. And that was an issue in that day and age. Divided military, divided resources, divided um, economy, everything was split. And it wasn't long before, the Assyri- before neighboring armies found out about it and Assyri- Assyria actually came in and broke the northern kingdom, just took complete control. For 300 years, these two kingdoms have kind of been in chaos and then Assyria comes in and takes control, takes all the leaders of the northern kingdom and sends them away. So essentially, there is no more northern kingdom. And the southern kingdom's in disarray because they're thinking, well, where next? We know what's coming and in the midst of this like bleakest, darkest moment of the nation of Israel's history, this guy rocks up called Isaiah. And he says, hey, I've got to tell you something that, that God wants me to tell you. And I'm going to write it down so you guys remember it, because you're probably not going to believe me now. But this is what Isaiah tells the people in the southern kingdom who are just about to be invaded by the Assyrian army. He says this, you won't believe it. He says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles, which was just anyone that wasn't Jewish. So if you're in the room and you're not Jewish like me, um, congratulations, we're Gentiles. And you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And everyone's sitting there going like, Isaiah, we can't even light up our own lives. We can't even save ourselves. We are about to be overthrown by the Assyrians. Nothing, no one is going to hear about our story. And that's exactly what happened. The Assyrians came in. The Assyrians conquered them and for 300 years Assyria ruled until they were taken over by the Babylonians. And then, in the year 63 BC, Rome sent a guy called Pompey 
who would be known throughout history as Pompey the Great. They said, hey, we want, to, we want you to go and we want you to take over Jerusalem. And so Pompey and the Roman army stormed the city of Jerusalem. And they went up the steps of the big temple that the Jewish people had. And Pompey gets off his horse on the stairs of the Jewish temple while the Roman soldiers are, are slaughtering the Jewish priests. Because Pompey wanted to see, every religion had this God vault. And Pompey wanted to see, who is this God that this little, tiny, pathetic, weak nation follow that reckons he's going to bless the world? And Pompey went to the God vault and he pulled this curtain because every God vault had a curtain there that separated it. And he pulled the curtain to the side and what he saw was nothing. Because the Jews didn't have an idol. They didn't have a picture. They said, no, our God's too big to fit in a God vault. Like, we believe that our God's out there, that he's not in here. And you know what Pompey would have done? He would have laughed. How pathetic is this nation that they don't even have a God to follow? And so Pompey, and that began the Roman occupation of Jerusalem. And that is what makes the Christmas story so remarkable. Because from that cultural landscape, from that point where the nation was pretty much in disarray, where Rome was overthrowing them, where everyone had lost hope, we now sit on the other side of that. And at this time in the year, people all around the world, but particularly us, we sit in the northern suburbs of Brisbane, in a country thousands of years removed and thousands of kilometers removed from where these actual events took place, and we talk about the story that occurred. And someone else who sat on the other side of history, on the other side of the Christmas story, his name was Paul. He was a Christian killer before he actually became a Christian himself. He said this, he said, but when the right time came... When the Greek and Roman cultures had merged and there was this one culture kind of spreading over Europe at that time, when there was a common language, when there was highways that connected major cities that had never been connected before, when there was a huge port uh, way to now travel from hub to hub around the Mediterranean Rim, when the right time came, God decided to act. And God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Uh, Galilee to a virgin named and we all know this virgin's name right 2,000 years later Mary and Gabriel appeared to her and said greetings favored woman the Lord is with you and Mary would have been like God hasn't been with us for a long long time and he the angel kind of he said you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high, the Lord God. He'll take the throne of his ancestor David, the warrior King David, the one that you guys have kind of all forgotten because it's been hundreds of years since since the kingdom of Israel fell. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And here's the clincher. He says, and his kingdom will never end. And what's so remarkable is not the Christmas story itself, but the backstory that led up to it. 
and everything that was going on behind the scenes. Because you couldn't make this stuff up. Even if you tried to, even if you wanted to, this is a story that spans millennia. This is a story that sometimes had a thread so thin that people had lost all hope. This was a story that even the people who were living it said, we don't, we don't really believe it. Sure, it's part of our nation's heritage, but we're not sure if it's going to actually happen. So, who needs Christmas? Well, the answer to that is the world did. That at just the right time, God moved in such a way that 2,000 years later, from that beginning, we would still be talking about the Christmas story. The world needed the Christmas story because the world needed to know that even when God is, um, is silent, it doesn't mean He's still. Then even if, when it seems like God is quiet, it doesn't mean that He's left. That even when it seems like it's impossible to move forward, that it's impossible to believe that God has promised you something, that it is okay to continue to trust. So who needs the Christmas story? Well, the world does. But it wasn't just the world. God needed the Christmas story as well. And we're going to continue that conversation in part two of Who Needs Christmas.